It's time for the Hammer Down Show with Jared Jesselitis. Oh, yes. And what was that beginning, middle, and end part again? Streaming online at 1017thehammer.com. All right, sounds good. Let's do this. Seven six five four four seven four zero eight zero. Love hearing from you guys. So uh, again, get at me seven six five four four seven four zero eight zero, and uh, we'll get the show uh, going here with some breaking news in your need to know news. Here's your need to know news. I gotta double check this because I was literally just scrolling through here, and because there's no more. Yeah, see, there we go. I almost fell for it. It's an Adam Scheffner parody account. Never mind. Good. I'm glad I double-checked that. See what you got to do? That's why I don't like this new Twitter thing here. There's always somebody that throws something in there. I hate this. I hate this. It did have the blue check mark. That's why I got confused. So we're not going to... We're not going to say that. Uh, let's go to this. Purdue men's basketball off to a good start last night, 84-53 to the final. Zach Eady with a double-double, 12-17 and 17 last night. Love to see it. Uh, Fletcher Lawyer, 17 points. Brandon Newman, 16 off of the bench. Braden Smith. A lot of people like this dude. Freshman single-game record for steals with seven, the second most by any player in a single game in Purdue history. Defensively, Milwaukee, 20 turnovers, shot just 15% from behind the arc. Nice job, Purdue. Next up, a Friday night matchup. Back in Mackey Arena, sold out against Austin P. Signing day was also today. Purdue men's basketball off to a uh, good, like right there at the beginning. It's not like it was a shocker that Miles Colvin was going to send his stuff in, but it is official Katie Gerald's inked five new players for her class. Dave Shondell loaded up, starting with McCutcheon Maverick star Chloe Shacoin, one of the nation's top recruits. He didn't stop there either. After he added the top spiker of the nation, he added the top hitter as well. Um, added the top-ranked setter and the 17th overall prospect in the class as well. So three real dandies for Dave Shondell. Good for him. Uh, seems like they put together some stuff. And, of course, there's still recruits. Uh, there's playing for soccer. There's, uh, you know, um, baseball as well. They're just so numerous. So uh, we'll get to them. Chicago Cubs have promoted Dustin Kelly to hitting coach after two seasons as the organization's minor league hitting coordinator. One of the three additions that uh, David Ross made yesterday, Kelly becomes the eighth hitting coach in 12 seasons. You're usually the scapegoat. He replaces Greg Brown, who lasted just one year. Jose Abreu is going to test free agency, and the Cubs are reportedly in the market for the hitter. 304 last season. That was eighth best in the league with 15 homers and 75 RBIs. An ops number of 824, too, which is darn good. He will get some offers, that's for sure. So how competitive do the Cubs want to be? We'll 
We will find out. Coming up tonight, the NBA is back after taking election day off. The Pacers host the Nuggets. Blue and Gold, a six-point dog tonight at home. Bulls, a two-point dog hosting the Pelicans. There you go. That is tonight's Need to Know News. Is everybody excited coming off of last night's game, right? The Purdue game. We all locked in for that again. We'll break that down for you here in uh, in just a little bit. But last night, hey, the bets went well. The best bets uh, did fantastic. Uh, we took that Purdue win. We took that right. Dang, I sprinkled a little on the rider money line last night, and that dude tripped with a chance to win the ball game, bringing the ball up still. We covered the 13, no problem. Uh, the... Uh, Boilermakers covered the 24-and-a-half, no problem. Zabinajag came up one shot short of making a clean sweep for the night. So we're going to go and get back after it tonight again. Um, what do we like tonight? <sighs> My gut told me, and, and this is not going to be a, a, a big, this is not going to be like a full unit wager for me tonight. This is like I just kind of needed to come up with something in the NBA. I wanted to take the Bulls-Pelicans over. Pelicans have given up 120-plus points in each of their last three road games, all been losing efforts. They gave up 128 points last time they came up to Chicago. So I know they're going to give up a lot, but they're primed for a bounce back. I hate that. My gut told me to take the Bulls plus two. And then I I, I took a look at that and I said, no, go, go for the over. But then the over jumped to... Uh, up about four points from where it started. It was at like one. It was at uh, two twenty eight, two twenty nine. Now it's up to like two thirty three. Ah, oh, that's tough right there. I think I still kind of like the over, so I'll probably just. I don't want to put a whole lot into this one. It just doesn't feel great for me. Uh, I'll I'll probably parlay the Bulls with the over and just see what happens and just put like a quarter of a unit on. I, I'm not going crazy there. Um, yeah, everybody gets the night off from last, uh, from last night. Everybody should be pretty well rested. Uh, we'll see what happens there, but the Pelicans have been just terrible on the road and the Bulls have been all right at home. I mean, six and six, uh, but the Pelicans have been, like I said, pretty darn bad, uh, there for the last couple of road games. Uh, we've been, like I said, we've been pretty solid the last couple of weeks in NHL. I think there's a good matchup here tonight. With the Wild at Anaheim. Anaheim gives up the most shots on goal in the league. But I think they actually might win that game tonight against Minnesota. And the money line's plus 142. It's a sprinkle for me, but I do like my shots on goal. Um, So we want to target some Minnesota Wild players tonight because we think uh, they will rack up some shots on goal. Uh, So you go right to the top of the list and you go to uh, Kaprizov. Five shots on goal. That's the mark. I'm going to move that up just a little bit so we get into plus money. Ducks give up the most shots per game. They give up the most shots to centers in the NHL per game. Like I said, Kaprizov is tops on the team in shooting. If you want to start to feel dangerous here and you want to add in some more five-shot guys, uh, Erickson Eck is the uh, next guy you want to target. Also a center, second on the team in shots on goal. 
I also like uh, Frank uh, Vetrano as well. Over two and a half shots on goal. He has been crushing that number over the last ten. I believe he's at an eight of his last ten. So I'm looking for three. Minnesota played last night. I, I think they might get a little tired in the back half of this game. And uh, Vetrano's just been amazing in covering that number. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and I would say Vitrano might be my favorite bet of the night there at the over two and a half shots on goal. So we're going to lean into that. I also like Kaprizov with the five shots on goal and uh, just a little bit of a sprinkle here. We'll put together the Bulls plus two and that over number right now for uh, this evening. We'll see what happens. I don't love that game. I had to pick something local and um, yeah, I don't really want to lean into that Pacers game. I hate I hate the Pacers right now. They're just the 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 model of inconsistent. Not that the Bulls are any more consistent, but I just I don't have a great read on the Pacers right now. Literally zero read on them, and they're at home, so that just makes it like a I'm going to back off real slowly on that one. So, like I said, Bulls plus two and uh, and that over tonight light sprinkle. It's like a quarter of a unit, not doing much. I'm just giving you one because you need something local. But we'll take a breeze off with the five shots on goal. Vetrano with the over two and a half shots on goal. If you want to add in a second five shots on goal guy, Erickson Eck, that's a little bit more of a lottery. But those are the picks tonight, and I hope you crush it tonight again. Uh, what other book you're uh, using this evening here. We're going to take a little time out. Hold tight. We're going to come right back, and let's recap what we saw last night for Purdue men's basketball, what we liked, what we didn't like, and did this tell us anything about the upcoming season? We'll discuss it, and we'll take your comments on that game as well on the Blue Fox Heating Cooling Hammerhead Hotline at 765-447-4080. That's next here on the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer and 1017.com with your host, Jared Jessalitis. How you doing? Uh, do not forget gets uh that's uh this uh what tomorrow what, what are you gonna tomorrow shane fry uh, you don't want to miss out on that conversation uh as they get ready for uh their regional game so we got brian nade coming up here on friday very excited for high school football and of course we'll be out at lafayette jeff with that game on friday night for you against carol last night though purdue with a uh nice victory uh over milwaukee 84 to 53 uh spread that one was uh in the mid-20s and uh, they cruise to that victory. They are officially 1-0 on the season. I liked a lot of what I saw last night, if we're being honest. Really, really did. Uh, things that you got to love is, one, I felt like there was, a, there was an intensity there. Like there was a real griminess to it. Like a, a want to do the tough things. That I think at times maybe this team was missing last season. I see a lot of people keep on saying this feels like a vintage Matt Painter team. And they feel like a type of team that where they're going to fly under the radar, but because they want to do the little things so well, they're going to find themselves in a lot of good positions down the stretch, especially once we get into January. So I love the intensity that I saw there. Fletcher Lawyer seemed like he had the green light or at least... Uh, was egged on a little bit by Matt Painter to go out and find his rhythm at one point, and especially in that second half. 6 of 15 uh, overall. He was 5 of 12 uh, from behind the arc. This is the type of shooting we're supposed to uh, be expecting out of the, uh, you know, the uh, freshman, uh, what they call him last night, the high school three-point shooting champion. I mean, do you expect him to find that rhythm there and do that? Uh, you know, he knocked down five. Brandon Newman who, again, came off the bench 6-12, to 
Uh, shot three of eight from uh, behind the arc, had 16 points. Boy, talk, talk about solid at that guard spot right there. Am I right? Looked great last night, too. I continued to root for that man. I felt like everybody's talking about Braden Smith today. Everybody loved the alley-oop. Everybody loves the assists. We had seven last night. Was it seven assists? It was seven steals for him last night. He had four assists. Looks very competent in bringing the ball up. Looks quick. Looks deliberate. You know, Matt Painter told us he was going to, people are going to wonder where, why he wasn't on more people's radars. And I think you, you definitely saw a big difference between him and the exhibition, what you saw there um, last night. Made just a little bit more confident, a little bit more sure of himself. But he definitely plays and looks like he belongs there, doesn't he? It's been a while since I've seen a freshman come in and just you feel good, real good, about having him out on the court. And he just plays with an intensity that seems infectious right now. Maybe a little too infectious. One of the issues I did have there, especially in the first half, was uh, you know transition seemed a little disjointed at times. Now they get the ball up quick, which is great, but then once they get the ball up there, it seems like one pass too many, maybe not really sure what to do with the basketball at times. But I chalk that up to, again, you've got a couple of freshmen out there uh, making their first starts. First game, maybe there's a little bit of the jitters. I know they had the exhibition, but it took them a little bit to get settled in, didn't it? At least that's what I thought. I mean, the numbers back that up, too. I mean, they shot 31% in the first half. Come out and shoot 42% in the second. Much better. And that's because I think they got in the half-court sets a lot more in the second half. That seemed to... I mean, they were really running the sets great. Zach Eady struggled around the rim last night. Had 17 boards, but still struggled to finish. That's not something I think you should worry about. Sometimes guys can have off nights. It, it it does happen. I thought the refs let an awful lot go both ways down low. I, I found myself going, man, he's getting hacked, and then sometimes on the other end being like, oh, he's lucky to get away with that. So I thought the refs really let him play down low there. Maybe, maybe that was detrimental to Zach. I mean, he only had four free throw attempts. I think Matt Painter had mentioned something about that in the postgame, too, that that's rare that he only has that many. Uh, but 17 boards looked you know, look great. Mason Gillis does Mason Gillis things. Um, Ethan Morton, 7 points, 6 assists. I don't know what to make of Ethan Morton's night in his 19, 19 and a half minutes that he played. He was 2 of 6 from the field, 1 of 3 from 3. He hit both his free throws. I thought he was out there doing a lot of the little things, but I thought maybe I wanted more out of him offensively at one point, but maybe that's not what you need to ask of him at this point. I trade Kaufman Wren just looks like a, a mountain of untapped potential. Three of eight, he was two for four from the line. He added seven rebounds, eight points. Just the one turnover. And that's really where I got bummed with Ethan Morton was three turnovers last night. But I thought Trey Goffman Red looked uh, 
He looks like a redshirt freshman with a lot of potential. A guy that's uh, trying to find his little niche there. But when they put him out and Caleb First out, that's a tremendous combo. I I love watching that combo. The fact that you can bring those guys both in for Edie and and Gillis is just such a huge boost because, I mean, it changes up your look a little bit. They're still solid defensively, I think. They can still rebound well. They both had eight points. They combined for 11 boards. 52-34 52-34 to 34 on the rebound margin. Uh, 11 turnovers was not something that I'd like to see. And that was that was Smith and Morton with uh, six of those. Six out of the 11. Everybody else that had a turnover just had a one. No turnovers from Lawyer. No turnovers from Mason Gillis. And we had complimented them in the uh, exhibition about how well they seem to take care of the ball. 11 is, you, you don't want those double digits. Even with those freshmen out there, I can't have the double digits. 11 blocks, too. Just a great game defensively. Like I said, I thought a lot of intensity. First had two blocks. Zach had six. Well, Ren and Newman both added blocks there, too. I mean, come on. 14 steals and 11 blocks, you got to feel pretty darn good about that. It's a good night. And, and like we said at the top of the show, you know, defensively uh, holding... Uh, the uh, holding Milwaukee to what fifteen percent shooting from three point. That's such a huge win. That's a real huge win last night. Just the one lead change, you know. Purdue takes it pretty much wire to wire. Twenty six points off of those ten turnovers. That's another thing to give Purdue credit for because we talked about it with just what three or four in the exhibition, but no points. Last night, 11 turnovers only resulted in 14 points. I was shocked to look at the score at the end here to find out that Milwaukee had more paint points than Purdue, 32-28. to 28. Only four second-chance points for Milwaukee, only six off of fast breaks. And Purdue with only, what, 19 second-chance points. Yeah, lots of like in that one. There's going to be things that you can nitpick at. Like I said, the transition... Um, you know, you know, in the fast breaks and stuff, looked a little disjointed. They looked a little rushed in the first half, but boy, they hit a they, they hit a real stride. They go like on a ten point run or so right around midway through the second half, and then forced the timeout by, by Milwaukee. had a, had a lot of a lot of pressure defensively on that uh, on that run too. I mean, you see it right there. It's just putting it together for the full game, uh, and, and I think this team's a lot closer to doing that. Than I realized initially. Like I, I thought this was going to be a little bit of work in progress, and I said this after the exhibition game too. I said you got to pump the brakes. Everybody's getting a little too excited here. I think you're letting the expectations um, get higher than you know what this what the bar for the team should be. But then come out against Austin P. I think they'll shoot better on Friday. Uh, Austin P. is not a team. Uh, they got. I mean, they got destroyed in their opener, and they played a Big Ten team. And I just remember they lost by like it was like ninety to something. They only put up like fifty. Lord forbid, I'm gonna have to go back and uh, and look that one up. But I know when I took a glance, it was NC State. That's who it was, ninety nine to fifty. So I think Purdue will shoot better. It's next week that I'm worried about. But if I if you can come out there and you could shoot in, in the mid-40s, you know, low-40s maybe, 
I feel great about that. NC State shot 60% from the field against uh, the Governors in their opener. So, like I said, if you can shoot in the upper 40s, uh, you've got to feel amazing going into next week, which is going to be where Purdue actually gets tested. That's where you actually should be starting to form a, a true opinion about the Boilermakers, because you'll have Marquette on Tuesday next week, West Virginia on Thursday, and that Phil Knight legacy. They come out, look great against Marquette, they get a W against West Virginia, then yes, it's time to raise the bar a little bit. But right now, I'm, I'm not going too crazy with it, because as great as it was to see those guys and to watch how they played last night, I will again submit to you that Milwaukee, much like Truman State, is not a team that's exactly built to expose Purdue in any way, shape, or form. They just don't have the talent to, to, to lean on those pressure points that Purdue might have. Now Marquette will be a step in that direction. West Virginia will definitely be a step in that direction. And Lord willing, if it happens, Gonzaga is definitely going to be able to do that. And we can take those games in totality here and then sit down and, and look at what those issues are, where Purdue does struggle. Then we can start to figure out whether or not they can overcome those things if they have the, pers- uh, the personnel to be able to do those things. But yeah, I think we're all getting very excited. I'm excited too, but we really don't know what this team is just yet. We know we like Braden Smith a lot. We know we this feels like a vintage Purdue Matt Painter team that just you know wants to wants to do the little things and doesn't care if it wins ugly. But you know if they want to go ahead and win by thirty, they're more than welcome to do that. We don't need to go the Providence route where every game seems like it's you know within five. I, I don't need that. They want to win by thirty. They can keep on going out there and winning by thirty. But it was a good opening act against Milwaukee. I'm not trying to take anything away from I said, I, I loved Brandon Smith there. Zach Eady will be better around the rim. Don't worry about that. I think things just felt a little rushed. They're finding their timing right now. But they've got a couple of games now where they can put that together. Let's see how they do on Friday here. And if uh, they, they run rough shot over the Governors, yeah. Go a little bit crazy when you host Marquette next Tuesday. Then they're going to get on that plane, go out to Oregon on uh, Wednesday and get ready for that tip-off Thursday uh, against the Mountaineers and what can really, really raise expectations if you can play well in that Phil Knight legacy. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll continue to take your thoughts on your Boilermakers and more here on the Blue Fox Eating Cooling Hammerhead Hotline, 765-447-4080. We're coming right back. This is the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer and 1017. And welcome back to the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer, 1017 TheHammer.com. I'm Jared Jessalitis. Things happening over on uh, uh, at Colts facility today. Jeff Saturday with his first chance to sit down with everybody because, you know, Tuesday they have, uh, you know, they have the uh, off day. So today was the first chance for him to be able to come in and catch up with everybody. And it just seems like everybody that writes beat writer for the Colts had nothing but positive stuff to say about Jeff Saturday when he spoke to the press today. Uh, I don't know if that's an indictment of uh, Frank Wright or if it's an indictment of what happened on Monday night with that press conference, but 
Um, I mean, all the big wigs seem to be more than impressed with the way that Jeff Saturday has uh, handled the media uh, being out there today. Probably also helps to find out that Jonathan Taylor was spotted back at practice today. He was on the field. He uh, missed that game uh, against New England. He has not been himself. So we'll see with the uh, with the big offensive lineman at the helm, do they try to run the football a little bit more uh, this week as opposed to what they have been doing? Look, uh, we went over it yesterday. I, I just, the, the whole thing just, it, it doesn't sit well with me. What what really makes it even worse was uh, Bob Kravis in The Athletic here says that him and, and Mike Chappelle both got calls from um, Jim Ursay kind of trying to tamp down that whole thing about tanking. He's taking issue with that. That, you know, they're intentionally sitting Matt Ryan, Frank fired, interim head coach, no coaching experience, 30-year-old with no play-calling experience, running the offense. This is what's in the article. Quote, quote, er, uh, quote Jim Ursay. It's the most absurd thing I've ever heard that we're tanking. We're in this thing 9-7-1. and one. Get us in, no question about it. We're not tanking the season. Whoever says these things that we're not playing Matt because of an effort to tank, that's all bull. That's not true. We're going to do what it takes to win. I don't know who people think we are. They don't know us. We don't tank in Indianapolis. I mean, there was, look, there was the whole uh, season before luck. People kind of accused him that of putting, you know, with Painter at the helm down there. They were, what, 0-13, then they won those, they won two of the last three, made sure to drop that last one at Jacksonville just to make sure. Or Jim Caldwell. At least he made it to the end of the season. I mean, I know that Matt Ryan is hurt. I get that. I even said that a couple of weeks ago. We talked about Ellinger starting, and they talked about benching Matt Ryan, and I thought it was an odd thing to say, given the fact that he wasn't going to be able to play uh, because of that uh, that shoulder injury. Like he wasn't, he was going to get sat regardless. So if that's the if that's the case, if he's going to be out, why are we calling him benched? Why do we use that verbiage? Now Ursay says that. You know, Ryan could come back at one point. That is a possibility. I think he's trying to figure out what to do with that contract. I think he wants out from under that contract. I think he wants to start everything as fresh as possible next season. And I think the moves uh, are are showing that. Now, let's be honest here. What is the bar? Let's let's say that we take Ursay at his word here. And that the Jeff Saturday hire is for the long term. It's for the rest of the season and possibly long term. Okay? What in your what in your mind would he have to go for you to be able to consider him to be the guy? What's the record gotta be? If you're three, five, and one right now. And you've got, what, how many more games? Two, four, six. You've got eight games left. How many of those does he have to win 
for you know you to seriously consider him being the head coach. Six? I mean, guy with like zero experience. Is it not about the number of games? One, does it just have to be that the offense has to start scoring again? 14.7 points per game. And they go back to putting up like 28 points a game? Is that, a, is that what you need to consider this? I, I, I don't know. But I think it's important to establish that because if you don't think that Jeff Saturday is capable of making those kind of levels, that's the one thing that I... This is the one thing that I'll, I'll make the case on the supposed tanking here is. I, I don't know that Ursay necessarily wants to hire him long term. I think he has guys in mind. And maybe the reason he doesn't promote a guy like Gus Bradley is that he maybe he doesn't want him to do good and then makes it a tougher decision. I still don't understand what a what a 30-year-old with no coaching experience is going to do calling the play. I, I, I still don't understand that move. But whatever your mark is, you have to take a look at these games and, and ask yourself, where in the world are you going to be a favorite at? If you're a six-point dog at Las Vegas this week, you have maybe one other shot, and that's at home against the Texans at the end of the year. Maybe at home against the Steelers. Maybe. And they get Watt back, that's probably not going to be good news. You have three games where I would say, hey, you got a, you got a decent chance of winning here. That's the Raiders this week, the Steelers on the 28th, and the Texans at the end of the season. You're not winning against the Eagles. You're not beating the Cowboys. You're not beating the Vikings. And I just, I don't like your chances against the Chargers or Giants either. Part of me just wonders if Saturday doesn't have this job because it's easy to let him go after all of this. Maybe that's the reason. I don't know. It's terribly difficult to figure out what's going on in his mind. The other thing that sticks out to me is, again... Uh, this kid that you're going to have calling the plays. Jeff Saturday, who's widely regarded as a smart guy amongst his peers at ESPN. And he looks over that coaching staff and says, you know who the best person to call plays? Not anybody that has any kind of coaching experience. I need a guy with zero coaching experience and play calling experience. It just it boggles my mind. It's not like Jeff Saturday doesn't know anything about the game and doesn't know anything about those other coaches. You would just think somebody out there's got to be a better choice for that if you were serious about winning. I just don't know that they're super serious. I understand they're going to go out there and give it the old college try. I don't think players are going out there specifically dropping passes and missing tackles. To get a draft pick or anything like that, they gotta—they're fighting for jobs. But I don't know how serious this coaching—you know—these two coaching moves are to helping prepare them for success. I don't know that Gus Bradley would do any better. But 
I think we can all agree that the moves do seem a little suspect, don't they? At, at the worst, I, I feel like it's valid criticism to ask what the Indianapolis Colts are doing with these decisions. It's not one or two uh, national guys questioning these things. It's all the local guys were making the questions. All the national guys were doing it. Everybody's shaking their heads. What? How many games does he have to win for you to be like, oh, we were wrong? Because if you think he's got to win five or six in the last eight, please show me where there's five or six wins there. I think at best there's three. And then you'd also have to win the Chargers and the Giants. And I just, boy, I don't see that happening. But, hey, at least you're getting some guys back in Jonathan Taylor. We'll see if he makes it to Sunday. they got to hit on the road to take on the Raiders. By the way, teams the, like the week after playing the Raiders have been abysmal too, which is not good. But then again, you're playing the Eagles and you weren't going to win that game anyway. We got a break. Hang tight. We'll come back. We'll do the things we missed and we'll wrap up the Hammer Down show next on 101. Well, welcome back to the Hammer Down show on 101.7 The Hammer and 101.7 TheHammer.com. Coming up on tomorrow's show, I got Bobby Buckets, by the way. Uh, that is uh, going to be a great convo. You don't want to miss out on that. The uh, play-by-play guy for Purdue. We're going to do a big Purdue basketball show for you tomorrow. So uh, lots to talk about with him. Always love catching up with uh, old uh, Bobby. And, um, yeah, uh, very much looking forward to having him on the uh, program tomorrow. So uh, do not miss out on that. Time for some of the things that we may have missed. Or the NFL uh, commander's owner, Dan Snyder. Remember we talked about him. He put the the, the team up for uh, up for sale. Explore the possibility of a sale. And I said, watch this guy not make enough on the offer, and then just decline to sell the team. Well, I told you that uh, there were rumors that there might be some legal affairs coming up sooner rather than later. And so I backtracked that after that when we found that out. Well, here we go via ESPN, the office of the DC attorney indicates that it will make a major announcement related to the Washington Commanders tomorrow. Oh, boy. Here's my question now is, if Dan Snyder still has dirt on owners and he's going to have to sell the team anyway here, does he go quietly into the night or does he still spill the tea? Also, I'm going to be real curious to see what these charges are exactly. Just how like big of a problem it is. I, I don't. We're all assuming that it's going to be big enough that he's going to have to sell the team. That's the other thing here too. We'll see what happens. I don't know all the rules. I don't know if he gets charged with something and convicted of something. He might have to. There might be some kind of uh, um, ownership rules, kind of decorum. I, I'm not exactly sure what those could possibly be, but I got to think if you get charged with a crime, much like. You know, players, there is, there, there's a, there's a conduct violation there. So I, I guess we'll just wait and see what happens tomorrow. But uh, they're expected to make a uh, major announcement regarding the Commanders uh, sometime tomorrow. Good luck, man. Uh, also, some late breaking news here in the afternoon. It uh, looks like the Rams are going to uh, need a uh, new quarterback as uh, their starter, Matt Stafford has just headed into concussion protocol. That has just uh, happened here over the last, I don't know, like 15 minutes or so. 
They just made that announcement. Of course, the Rams have been a, a pretty darn big letdown here, three and five uh, out there in the West. So if uh, Matt Stafford isn't able to go, uh, the rest of the quarterback room is Bryce Perkins, second-year man out of Virginia, or John Wolford, the third-year man out of Wake Forest. I'm not exactly sure who is uh, next on that uh, depth chart, but that's who is available. Oh, boy. Who do they take on this week? I don't even think I know who they face. It was, uh, oh, it's Arizona. Oh, boy, big big break for Arizona, who just has got to be tired of losing themselves at 3-6. and six. Rams were a three-point favorite in that one. I don't know. I hate it when a, an unknown quarterback takes over for a bad starting quarterback that just got injured. Yeah, I might avoid that one like the uh, like the plague. I don't know if I'm on board with that one. But there you go. That is uh, the things that we may have missed. And that'll do it for today's show. I want to thank uh, everybody for listening again tomorrow. uh, We'll have more Purdue basketball talk here with uh, Bobby Buckets. He is the uh, Keller commentator on the radio crew alongside with Rob Blackman for Purdue basketball. So uh, he's been out there for the first two games. Want to hear what he has to, uh, to say, what he thinks, what he saw here on uh, last night about uh, you know, a couple of freshmen starting and everything, too. What's the vibe like? Does it remind him of anything as a former player? Yeah, so uh, we'll talk with old Bobby Buckets. He's going to be on the uh, program tomorrow, as well as Jed Wilkinson also on the program tomorrow. So we'll do a lot of basketball talk. And then, of course, get a ticket for women's basketball. They're tipping off tomorrow night and. Yours truly work in the PA for that tomorrow night. I'm super, super nervous about that, but it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, that will do it for the uh, Hammer Down show, so make sure you swing on back here. We'll be back again tomorrow at 3 o'clock, and we'll talk some uh, more local sports with you here. Take your texts and more back on the Hammer Down show, 1017 The Hammer and 1017TheHammer.com. We'll see you back here tomorrow.